You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole coming at you from the Rock of Eternity, which apparently means we will be here forever. And I am just one of your hosts, Matthew Rushing. And with me, as she is always, the superhero phenomenon known as Princess Everything Power, Christy Morris. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I can shoot lightning from my hands. I can fly and do all the things. You're so talented. I'm so you're so lucky. Well, you know, I mean, that's what happens when you're the sister of Captain Every Power. That's true. So true. Well, I'm so excited to be here as always. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about Shazam! Fury of the Gods. But before we get into everything, just, you know, as always, we're so excited that you decided to join us here in the 602 Club. We really appreciate it. And we hope that uh, you are subscribed wherever you're listening to this podcast so you'll get the shows as soon as they come out. Uh, you can also help us out. We'd really appreciate it going over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a star rating review. Write a review there. Uh, it does help people find the show. We actually read those reviews here on the show as well. So it's been a while since that's happened. And in many ways, it's still the best ways for podcasts to be able to grow and find more listeners. It's because of the reviews. Uh, the you know weird Apple system is still the biggest place for podcasts to be had. Uh, and so if you give us a review and a star rating, it makes a big difference. Spotify, you can also give us star ratings uh, as well. So that's also appreciated. You can find us all over the place. Uh, we're on social media, on Twitter, at The 602 Club. We are on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM, so we'd love it if you'd follow us and interact with us. We enjoy having conversations with everybody there. You can also find the entire network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. We've got a listeners-only discussion group you can join called the Babel Conference. You just type that into the search field. You can join that group and talk to listeners from all over the world about the different shows that are happening here on the network. You can find us online at trek.fm. And last but not least, the most important place to go is Patreon. Patreon.com slash trek.fm is where you can support the network and help everything that we're doing continue to happen. We can't do this without listeners just like you. It's pretty expensive to put a network of this size together. So we'd appreciate you supporting us and making sure that keeps coming to you each and every week, all of the shows. And... We're giving back to you. Chrissy and I have already released our very first episode of the VIP room, and we're going to continue to do that throughout the year here, so you'll get special episodes you can only get through Patreon. So again, it's patreon.com slash trackfm. So Chrissy, I wanted to start this movie off by talking about our main character, and Billy here... It's been two years since our first movie, and he's having a very difficult time with things. 
Um, he's 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 trying to hold on to everything very tightly, uh, and mainly because he can kind of feel his family, what he thinks is slipping away from him. Uh, people wanting to move on with their lives, and he's kind of afraid to lose what he has. And I wanted to to kind of dive into that together because I wanted to see how you felt like they were able to handle that story. Because next to that, what that means is we're actually spending most of the movie with Zachary Levi instead of Asher Angel as as Billy. And how do you feel like that then works with creating this storyline for the main character, Shazam? So I will say for sure, I love the way that they introduce the idea because I think that there's a lot to unpack here that he's dealing with. It was the perfect way to show that um, with him talking to the pediatrician like he's at a therapist's office. And then you realize he's a kid. He doesn't know how to find Mm -hmm. a therapist. He just goes to the first person he knows, which is his doctor. Right. (laughs) So I, I thought that that was cute and still made sense for the character and was a great way to easily talk about all the big things that mentally he's got going on without just dumping them on you some other way. Um, I do agree with you that we don't see Asher Angel as much um, and that maybe it would have been an asset to show him a little bit more because that helps give you the right perspective that it still is a kid who's not yet 18 Um Whereas seeing Zachary Levi all the time can kind of disassociate you from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, but, that's a really good point. But, you know, I, I do think that it's nothing against Zachary Levi's acting for me anyway. I, I do think that he does a good job of still coming across with that childlike goofiness and wonder about things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I wish it had been a little bit more even between the two. Yeah, I think I think that's an excellent point. In the sense that the story that they're telling really is more about Billy as a teenager than Mm -hmm. it is Billy as the superhero. And so then when we just spend all of this time with Billy as the superhero, and that means that Zachary Levi is having to play the majority of this I think it does kind of disassociate us from the actual thematic element of of his fear and worry. Um, and I think part of that for me kind of comes with something that I was actually really surprised by the film in this way. And I hate to have to say this, but I I really found the character of Shazam to be pretty obnoxious most of this movie. And I also felt like Zachary Levi was really overplaying the role and it's actually a detriment to the film. I I just wish he had toned it down by like 20 um, because I, I just think that exactly what you're saying by him kind of overplaying it there. It's it's not making that that core element of who this character is which is his fear of being abandoned really come to light in a way that makes me empathetic towards him 
because I feel like the way that he's playing the character, and again, this is for me, it just came off as obnoxious. I'm sorry to hear that. I, I can Me too, because how... I like Zachary <laughs> Levi a lot. I mean, I, Chuck yeah. is one of my favorite shows. Yeah. Oh, no, I know you do. I, I think that I could see how you would think that um, some some scenes for sure did feel a little bit overdone. Um, I would say I don't feel quite that badly about his performance, but I could understand why you would feel that way. Um, I do agree, though, for sure with with that, where they had the scene where his mother had to ask him to turn back into Billy. I think that kind of proves your point, though. That it's like maybe also what you're trying to get at, and I, I could feel some was that he is at when they when we see Asher Angel as Billy in the movie, it's really focusing more on the emotional side of the story. Yes. Yes. And that maybe the humor leaning in a little too far on Zachary Levi's side can then take you out of that and feel mm-hmm. a little yes. surface level. Yes. Is that right? No, I think you 100% nailed my biggest issues with this. And I think by saying that it it lacks the emotional resonance in the way that Zachary Levi is portraying this, um, that, again, you want in this character. I mean, I think you talking about that scene where, you know, his mother asks him to become the her billy mm-hmm. is really powerful and it's it i think it's probably the best moment in the movie in that sense when it comes to like emotional resonance really connecting with the audience uh, making you feel exactly uh what these characters are feeling and then you know when she says that she loves him and he says he loves her too it's so powerful uh and i I loved it. I just i I thought it was everything that this movie was trying to do with the character, and yet I didn't feel like they were able to do as well because, and I think you rightly pinpointed it. Everything that Zachary Levi does, I think, for the film is so much more humor based than necessarily emotionally based that it does, again, detract from the internal struggle that the character is going through because, and we've talked about this many times, especially, like, say, with the Thor movies, when everything's kind of a joke, it's very hard to then connect with the the characters on an emotional level because they're making everything a joke. And right. so you're just not... And that's where I feel like... As a, I would blame the director on this, actually. I think he needs to rein in Zachary Levi in those moments and say, okay, I see what you're doing there, but let's try it this way and mm-hmm. create those moments where, yeah, maybe the joke is being had, but it's done in a way that is where you can see that it's coming from a place of emotional pain and frustration more than it is necessarily a place of humor. And that mm-hmm. that that's something I think would have really helped the movie if if you, we can't have you know Asher Angel's version of Billy, then at least just kind of changing some of the tonality 
of, you know, uh, the Shazam character in that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there is one scene where I will, though, counter what you're saying, where I love that Mary is sitting down with the adult version of Shazam, Zachary Levi, and having that conversation where she's finally saying, we're not abandoning you. Right. Yeah. I did think that that scene was played very well and obviously did have him as the adult version and um, was a was an emotionally resonant scene. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say that I felt like the whole movie lacked that with him as an adult. Yeah. Um, But I I do agree that it it sometimes does lean too much into the joke. Um, And then, you know, also I, I kind of am flip flopping because. I do get that Shazam as a character is a very childlike, goofy kid in an adult body. So mm-hmm. I can understand then sometimes maybe leaning into the joke too much. And I think that that's a really good question then because, you know, this movie makes the point of the fact of, of finally explaining what the, the Shazam is an acronym, right? And mm-hmm. that the that the first of this is the wisdom of Solomon, which, of course, this movie references the fact that he seems to kind of lack the wisdom of Solomon in his life, uh, and even in his superhero uh, guise, mm-hmm. which you know, is is different than the comics. Um, because, again, Shazam is not supposed to be a dumb character um, because of that. And the wizard even makes a point of saying that, you know, he has a true wizard's heart, that, you know, even if he doesn't have the brains, um, he does have the heart of a hero. And... I think there was a part of me that was also frustrated with the film many times uh, because Billy is also really stupid a lot of this movie. I mean, the whole thing with the pen where they keep, you know, dictating things and the pen's writing it all down and then the... I found that joke to be ridiculously tiresome as if you wouldn't read the note when you finished it and realized that the pen had literally taken down every single word you'd said. I just was so annoyed by that because it made the character of Billy and Shazam really, really, really dumb. And I don't want my character to feel that dumb. You know, I get the fact that he is a child in a man's body as a superhero, but part of his character is 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 actually to be smart and wise. And if you're going to take that away a little bit so that he has a room to grow, I think that's great. But I just felt like the whole time he's kind of the really stupid one. And then when you get to the end and he comes up with the way to defeat the villain... I don't know if that necessarily felt earned to me because I don't know where that came from 
other than the fact that maybe he like feels like people finally believe in him or something. And that is what triggers his ability to be able to start to think about things maybe more logically or something. I don't know, but that's part of the film where I just didn't feel like it was done very well. Well, I would say I think maybe with the staff that he could see by example what was happening was that it was soaking up the power rather than just taking away everyone's power. Mm -hmm. So I would argue that maybe that actually would make sense to anyone in the movie and not be something you would have to be really intelligent to put together. But I get what you're saying, too, about the thing with the letter seeming really base and like even someone who is in high school is going to know better. Right. It's not like they're five <laughs> and they've never written a letter yes. before. Thank you. <laughs> but I did enjoy Helen Mirren reading it out loud. I'm just saying. Yes. Well, Helen Mirren makes everything good. And so yeah. I 100% agree with you. Um, But I, I don't know. I guess I kind of interpreted or defended the him lacking the wisdom of Solomon as not that he necessarily isn't smart it's just maybe a lack of common sense sometimes um or you know different kind of smart like he's not super into chemistry but he could be really good at you know english or something i don't know obviously he's not but <laughs> you get what i mean um and that maybe they were trying to say no one no man is an island basically that even though he has all of these powers that he still needs the whole team in order to accomplish things right. to their biggest potential um but that's me and i i could see still why you feel the way that you do as well mm -hmm. um but i actually didn't i wasn't bothered by that yeah no i mean and i'm glad that that's the case that that you weren't um you know i i think that I, I guess it's it's one of the things in the movie where I could see, I guess I can see what they're going for, but I, I don't, I don't think that it's executed very well. Mm -hmm. And I, I think um, that's, uh, that's something that's, that's frustrating to me. Um and, and to keep calling it out, like specifically in the yes, script, saying yes, yes. you don't have the wisdom of Solomon, I should have picked someone else, and then not really giving a great defense as to why he was the right choice till the end, I see would make you question that. Yeah. So um, it's uh, it it's just something to which, you know, when the movie's called Shazam... And really, it is about this character. I, I, I was actually frustrated watching the movie because I felt like the main character of the film wasn't as likable as it could be. And mm -hmm. that was really annoying to me. Um, and I felt like it wasn't something to which couldn't have been fixed and made better relatively easily. And, you know, I think the best part about the character of Shazam here is is when, you know, the wizard again tells him that one of the things that sets him apart is that it is his heart and the fact that he 
had these incredible powers and he didn't hesitate for a moment to share them. And that for him, this power was not something to to be had alone. And I think that's a, a very important part of this story and probably was actually the best part of this because, you know, this whole series is very much about the family that he's been adopted into and their acceptance of him as he is, which I think is, is, is really special. Um, and it, it goes to show again that you would expect Billy in the life that he's led to want to kind of hoard power because of the way that he's mis- been mistreated, he's been abandoned, and and yet, like a Harry Potter type of character, instead, he doesn't look at it like that at all. Like, that all that he has is is, is to be shared with others, which is mm-hmm. great, you know, and I think it's a really important lesson, you know, not only for the film, but just for us in general. And if you think about originally from the first movie, it's carrying over that theme of the reason that he was chosen instead of Dr. Savannah is that Billy is selfless and Savannah was selfish. And, you know, people that just want to keep everything for themselves are not going to get anywhere. And that ultimately then the wizard decided that he had made the wrong choice and took the power back. Um, I thought was a great example of then why we move on with Billy getting this power and being the person that wants to share it with the rest of his family and then being the person that doesn't just want to show off all the time with it. He actually wants to use his power for good in the world. And, you know, they're carrying on that theme. And I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. What on the, on the, opposite side of this i was fascinated that freddie to me actually felt more like the core of the film in many (laughs) ways and the character that i actually responded to much more than shazam and felt like they did a fantastic job of not only uh building off of where we left the character from the first movie but then just continuing that story very well of somebody who, you know, has never been looked at as special, has always been kind of, you know, made fun of, as seen as the gimp and all these things by people at school. Uh, and yet his alter ego is somebody with powers and somebody who helps people, saves people's lives, but nobody knows about that. And I just, I really, I thought that this, he was actually my favorite part of the film. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I'm wondering if it stemmed from him in the first movie really feeling like the adoring fan and not really having a lot to do. So this time they're actually giving Freddie some justice and giving him a bigger role in the story. I loved that. I thought that he, well, first of all, Jack Grazer is awesome. I think he could probably get any role from here because of how much he got to do in this film. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And um, getting to see him have a love interest even um, and validation, I think above everything, it's not just that he's Billy's brother. Now it's that he is his own person who is worthy just for being himself. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, I I think that that's so well said because the the other thing that I thought was great here is that when you have the storyline of him, you know, falling in love with with Anne and um, you know, she accepts him for who he is, which is she sees his humor, his outlook on life, his ability to rise above persecution and still have this incredible attitude about everything. Like she sees him for who he is and appreciates him for who he is. And I think, you know, uh, that's something that's really special about the story for for Freddie is that and, and it's an important story just in general of, you know, looking past uh, people's appearance to who they truly are from the inside yes. out. And that's a great story. Yeah, well, it goes along perfectly, too, with already the background of them all being in a foster home. You know, none of these mm-hmm. kids nor the parents are biologically related, but they are a family every bit as much as a biological family would be. So I like that they're continuing with that kind of thing where they're now building on that and saying this as well, that mm-hmm. it's not the outside that matters. It's a person's, you know, morals and behavior and you know the way that they treat others and that he's got this bravery in him even though the guys that he's standing up against could totally kick the crap out of him um and saw that and she Mm -hmm. brings out the potential in him and then you know vice versa she loses her powers and temporarily is mortal and he still comes to save her Right. So I, I love that they continue to build on that. Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree with you. And I think, you know, they, they do a really good job in that. And, and I did think it was interesting, though, too, that you know, for the most part, I don't feel like the rest of the family, especially the superhero part of the family, doesn't really get a ton to do. Um you know, I thought it was great that the parents finally learn about their kids' alter egos and who they really are. But I was uh, I was really interested to see that, yeah, I mean, the, the rest of the family um, just doesn't get a lot to, to do. Well, maybe, too, it's just there's too many people and not enough movie to fit that all in. Yeah, that's probably the case. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I loved what the little sister got to do with the kittens and the unicorns and everything. Um, I especially love the actress that they chose for her adult version, uh, Megan Good, um, as the uh, adult version of the sister because she just also shows that childlike wonder and she's also a little younger, so it works a little better. And she's so funny. I mean, the whole thing with the kittens to me was adorable. And and then saying, I guess I need to give these back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent agree with you. And and I, I think the other thing that you uh you get with her um specifically is is her um is her dealing with the unicorns and of course, you know, the rainbow, taste the rainbow with the Skittles and everything. Um and mm-hmm. I think all of that is 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 really nice. Um, it is interesting to me that yeah, there is there isn't a ton of character growth really with the rest of the characters. I mean, 
I, you know, I think of the first movie and I, I think of the character of Mary and she's trying to go to uh, college and get into college and all that kind of stuff. And, and then in this movie, you know, she's smart and everything, but she is kind of, I felt like sidelined in the sense that, yeah, she's not going to um, the school that she wanted to go to because she stayed at home. And, you know, I feel like there's just so much more you could kind of do there. But really, you made a really fine point in the fact that, you know, that it's not a long movie. So they don't really have the ability to get in super deep with a lot of these characters. But, I mean, you're still getting Darla, Mary, and Freddy all mm-hmm. having pretty big things to do in the movie. Yeah. Freddy being the most. Um, I would just say it's the two other brothers and the parents that kind of get pushed to the wayside a little bit. Um, although I did love the addition, by the way, because I just want to throw it in there, um, of them saying that the Mary's reason for staying being that she needs to help support the household and that that's the reason that they keep her around. Um, A, being proven wrong because they tell Billy that's not why he's part of their house as as well, you know, that he's not going to be kicked out as soon as he turns 18. Um, And because it turns out that they're not in the financial trouble that Mary thinks they are, and they tell her, we just bought that house. And she's like, wait, you bought the house? Yeah. Yeah, they're okay. (laughs) Kids don't know everything. No, they do not. Um, I wanted to ask you, too, because, you know, the first movie definitely makes it seem like the wizard has died. Uh, but we get the return of the wizard. And uh, not only is he back, but he's able to influence Billy's dreams to warn him that, you know, the daughters of Atlas are coming. Of course, uh, disturbingly turning into Wonder Woman uh, in his dream, which was super creepy um but did that did you feel like that all worked to kind of explain how this character was able to be back in this universe i think it was explained well enough i mean you know i i kind of wish that they had said yes he turned into ash but he was reanimated or you know something to connect the two of how he then ended up being alive and getting to the other realm was still a little fuzzy to me, but I accepted it. Um, obviously love having Hunsu back as the wizard. He's an incredible actor. Um, and the surprise that I wanted to tell you, by the way, um, that is not in the outline, is I wanted to tell you about all of the Dungeons and Dragons references between Ooh. Freddy and the wizard, and then later on as well specifically introduced when freddy ends up in the cell with the wizard in the other realm he's mentioning specifically spells that like bards can do in dungeons and dragons oh Um, nice yeah and he's saying you mean you don't have this spell or that spell and you know it's hilarious um and he also then um or he doesn't bring it up but later when they have the dragon and they're talking about it using fear instead of fire on people that is something that happens in D&D is that a dragon can put the frightened condition on a character and then it paralyzes you nice okay that's yeah. awesome so i wanted to throw that in as like 
they they threw in some things that do actually connect the dots together of okay like magic and greek Very mythology cool. and everything yeah i definitely caught the greek mythology stuff it was uh, and i i i felt like there probably were some dungeons and dragons references in there but not having played dungeons and dragons i'm not as you know, familiar with that kind of stuff outside of, you know, what I know from Stranger Things. So, Mm -hmm. and we also had a dungeon and a dragon. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) No, great point. Um, Yeah, I I thought I'm glad that they did reference this and, and actually do a good job of, I think, explaining what happened. The idea that you know, this is the realm of the gods. And so, uh, you know, wizards themselves are kind of a, a part of this 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 magical realm itself. And so when their time passes in this world, they return to that realm. I think all that made sense. And so I, I appreciated mm. that. Uh, and I'm definitely, I mean, it would be one of those things where, you know, the, the, the Billy even says, I mean, he turned to ash, you know, so y- you got to explain this somehow. And I think they did a good job of, of explaining how this character was able to, to return and be a part of the story. Um, and speaking of the story, you know, this is not something from the comics. They are the daughters of Atlas, the Titan, uh, and you know, them, stealing the staff and forcing the wizard to repair it so they can restore their realm, the realm of the gods, which the wizards themselves stole the power of the gods because of their actions and then gave it to champions to uh, make a better world and then secured the gods in this realm and locked in its bubble so they couldn't get out. Um, and then connecting it with the fact that, you know, Shazam breaks the staff and that breaks the the spell that locked them there and it allows them out. Like, I thought this was something to which they did a pretty good job of creating some interesting um, and fun mythological villains for Shazam and his family to have to face, uh, especially since this is not stuff from the comics. They're they're just making it up for this movie. And I, th- I really enjoyed that part. Well, and I'm glad to hear it's, it's not necessarily stuff that was in the comics because I wouldn't have known that. I didn't read the Shazam comics. So that's cool. Um, and I think that it works because it's also simple. You know, they're not throwing a ton of different things at you. They're really making it apparent that the staff breaking literally then breaks the barrier for the realm being kept separate. Pretty simple stuff. (laughs) So I I think that that works and they're not doing a ton of different things to try and make it all make sense. And, Mm -hmm. and then having, you know, the, um, the effects and things to show you the realm itself and the, you know, example of the dome then showing up in the human Mm -hmm. realm I thought were all really good connections and they're going off of big things that humanity is already kind of usually aware of anyway with Greek mythology and with fantasy and just kind of blurring the lines in between them. 
No, I think that's that's excellent, you know, and, you know, too, I, I, I love this idea of them, you know, having to find this golden apple, which is from the tree of life, which will allow them to bring to life their realm again. And um, what did you think of the fact that, you know, Calypso here then decides, no, we're not going to bring our realm back. What we're going to do is we're going to destroy the human realm because if we plant this here uh, in the human realm, it it will corrupt and um, it'll just basically help destroy the human world. Well, for one, I wondered if somebody doing the writing had read the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> and of course it was a woman, am I right? <laughs> Um, no, I didn't say anything. So, so yeah, no, yeah, people yeah, can send mm-hmm. all their hate mail to Christy. <laughs> hey, I'm a woman. I can say it. But I, I thought that that was funny. The you know similarities between like the tree of life and you know Adam and Eve and all mm-hmm. of that. But also just um, it was cool. I mean, I think that they're showing exactly what you can see happening when someone's selfishness takes over and all they want is ultimate power and all they care about is things like vengeance. She just wants an eye for an eye. She's mad that something was taken from her family. And so now she's going to destroy everything in her path. So, yeah, I mean, it made total sense. And I liked the look of the golden apple and the dragon and her, you know, whole story. Yeah. I thought that, I mean, I, I think it worked in the in the sense of you have this character who yes that their their desire is just to lash out and destroy what they feel like hurt them and especially when you know they have the answer to be able to restore their realm and just leave right like they they, they but don't, it wasn't enough exactly but that wasn't enough yeah. And I think all of that, to me, works of them, you know, unleashing the chaos there on Philadelphia. I also appreciated, too, that, you know, we got this opportunity finally to explore more of the Rock of Eternity. Uh, You know, uh, we actually got to see the library there, which was phenomenal. You know, I'm a huge fan of books anyway, so yes, bring me that library every any day. It felt very Harry Potter-ish, which was very cool. Um, yes. Creating something fun, I think, even though I didn't love the jokes that came with uh, Steve the Pen sometimes, Steve the Pen was an incredibly cool idea, um, so I thought that was actually really fun. And, uh, you know, so I to me, I, I appreciated being able to kind of dive more into the universe that they had created of Shazam that they weren't able to in the first movie. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on that. I I definitely agree on the library, let me tell you, um, and the Harry Potter vibes. But I love them getting to show the room with all of the doors and then actually Mm -hmm. have the doors do something in the story. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I love that they have the brother say, oh, you don't need to worry about that door. There's nothing in there. It's just an endless labyrinth. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, you (laughs) mean the labyrinth that leads to a Greek mythological... Yes statue or you know building (laughs) the one we need yeah so that was cool yeah no 100 percent 
Um, so with our villains there with the Daughters of Atlas and um, how, how did they work for you there? Uh, all three of them, you know, we've got Rachel Zegler and Lucy Liu and Helen Murin all playing um, different Daughters of Atlas and, and who have slightly, you know, different responses to the mission that they're on. So I thought overall they were good. I think that it was funny that they called out the age difference between the sisters because I didn't understand that. Um, I mean, I get that obviously Anthea needs to look like or be able to morph into a high school student to then be able to blend in and, you know, get what she needs to get with um, Freddie. But it's weird having two actresses of the level of Lucy Liu and Helen Mirren and also the age and then suddenly having someone that is clearly very young in contrast to them. Did you see anything otherwise of like why that was chosen? I think the only reason they have that is because of the story and they need somebody who looks enough like a teenager to be able to fall in love with Freddie. Uh, Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's super weird, Um, you know. Yeah. So I mean, like having two different actresses instead. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I think they don't necessarily ever do a great job of, you know, why the the characters are this this disparate in their ages. Um, Other than, I guess, the fact that, you know, you think of. Uh, Atlas as the Titan, um, you know, living for millennia at a time. So him having three different children and basically, you know, different time periods might make sense, I guess, you know, that, you know, so, but again, it's, it is, it is kind of a strange thing to have three very different age group women all be a family like that. And, of course, the biggest reason is, is well, you need one of them to be able to be with a teenager or someone close to a teenage age and it not feel super weird. Right. Uh, and I will say I loved the joke of, of the mother saying, why do two of my sons like really a lot older yeah. women? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> what is wrong with me as a mother? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, nothing, nothing wrong with, uh, you know, older women. Like, yeah, it'd be great. So exactly. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, I, th- I thought the joke was funny. But yeah, I mean, overall, they were really good. Um, I had nothing wrong with their acting, of course. Um, I was really impressed with Rachel Zegler as Anthea. Um, I, I the only thing with her is I wish they had explained her power a little more. All it felt like to me was another version of what Doctor Strange does. Yeah, somewhat similar. Yeah, she has the power of like. Uh, I think they said axis, which allows her to change her surroundings to, uh, you know, different surroundings. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, no, I, I, I think that's actually a good point in the sense that it, when you don't do a good job of explaining the different powers for characters, then you can get to the point where powers just feel as though they're plot based rather than make sense because they make sense for the character. And so I agree with you there. I I think that's actually a really good point. And no, I I think they all did a great job. I I don't have any issues with any of them. 
Um, and if there was anything I think that might have possibly helped this film, and we've talked about this before on different movies, I feel like this movie could have benefited from a prologue that showed us the story of what happened with the wizards and with, the, you know, Atlas. I think that would have made the story feel more accessible and more immediately understandable than um, when they show up and their grievances would feel more present. Oh, I could see that for sure. I mean, like you're talking about the the scene where they're introduced in the mm-hmm. museum and they're grabbing the staff. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a big opening and it it starts the movie off with a bang. But I also feel like having a prologue at the beginning of the movie to explain not just who these characters are, but what their motivations are and and give us a sense of like portraying what happened to them so that we might actually have that feeling of, oh, I could, they kind of have a point, right? Um, right. In what happened to them. And so, uh, you know, I, again, I think that's something that that kind of scene could really accentuate all the things they're trying to do because they end up just telling us what happened to them instead of really truly showing us what happened to them. And again, you know, we've said many times, it's always better to show than tell. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're definitely right. I think that we needed something like that to tell us either why we should be afraid of them, what they're going to do when they get this power back or something, um, or make us sympathize with them. Like you're saying, like, what are their mm, motivations? Yeah. What um, got them so upset to where they feel like this is the only answer? So, yeah, I think that it it would make that scene feel more weight to it and mm-hmm. and matter rather than just sitting there going, why is this happening? Who are they? Yes. Yes. Well, one of the things that I, I thought was very cool about the film is that uh, we talk about the idea of what it means to be a true God. And, you know, Billy is called by Hesra a true God because of his willingness to sacrifice himself for others. Mm-hmm. And so that what makes someone a true God in the Greek sense and or a true hero is self-sacrifice. Like Hercules. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, and that is what connects the, you know, this is what comics are all about, right? True heroes are ones who are willing to sacrifice themselves for others. Mm -hmm. And so the, you know, there's a huge spiritual idea there too with that sacrifice is what, is what truly makes somebody a god, right? Um, and or shows the true nature of what it means to be God, which is mm-hmm. the willingness to sacrifice oneself for people who don't deserve it, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I thought that was great uh, about the film, and I, I thought that it was something to which 
this is where I would connect kind of what we were talking about at the very beginning and here. This is where I think that al- allowing there to be more emotional depth in the betrayal of Shazam as a character and his internal struggle would have made this thematic element even stronger because he's realized at that point that he has everything he wants. He has a family that loves him, accepts him, is never going to leave him, and yet he gives it all up. Mm-hmm. And he and he's willing to give it all up for everybody else. Um, not just his family, but the entire world, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I just, uh, that's something to which I think could have been even more spectacular than it is. Yeah, I, I can definitely see why you feel that way. And I, I would say I agree with that somewhat and maybe not to that extent, but um, I do think this was the best part of the entire movie. Um, and like I said, immediately thought of Hercules and that I thought to myself, well, if they go the same route of what makes you a true hero is that you sacrifice yourself for someone else and, you know, I'm thinking of the Disney movie Hercules, but when Hercules sacrifices himself to save Megara, he then becomes immortal or at least doesn't die. That's kind of what they did here, too. Um, I don't know that he becomes immortal, but at least he doesn't die. Um, and I like the joke about him saying, it took you two minutes to decide to bury me. <laughs> Um, that was a, a earned joke to me. Um, so I, I really liked it. I thought that this was something that they needed to add in. And then is another connective thing with the Greek mythology tying back to how it makes sense with Shazam. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved the scene with him and the lightning. I mean, dang, talk yeah, about a powerful cool. scene in a theater. So, yeah, I I thought it was awesome. We got a couple of post-credit scenes, as we do in many of these type of movies. And one of them is the fact that uh, Billy is recruited um, by characters from the Suicide Squad and Peacemaker into the Justice Society. Uh, Not the Justice League, but the Justice Society. And uh, I'm interested to see what you think of that. Um, and and if because obviously the Justice Society plays very much into what we just saw with Black Adam there. And so is that something that interests you at all in seeing uh, or are you like, eh? I'm really interested in that. I, I actually got a little bit of Black Adam vibes when Shazam's suit was burning and then it mm-hmm. looked kind of like the black suit. Um, so you can see that how they're kind of tied together already. I I want to see how it works with having someone like Shazam and Peacemaker and Black Adam together. So uh, that actually got me kind of excited because I did watch Peacemaker and I really liked the show. So... Yeah, I mean, what about you? Well, I do have to say that this is a scene that I couldn't stand the character. I 
he was so overplayed oh, and so okay. dumb in this scene that it just mm-hmm. really bothered me. Um, and this is a place where it's at the very end of the movie. Uh, and I'm just like, I'm already a little bit frustrated in some ways about the betrayal of this character. And this is one where I'm just like, I was kind of done. Um, and I was really disappointed that they decided to go this route and it then in the portrayal, it just didn't work for me whatsoever. And, you know, I think the problem with this is, is that we're setting up something that's probably never going to happen again. It's another, mm. you know, because with Black Adam and everything, I don't think that they are they're ever going to do another Black Adam film. So that that's another frustration there. And and I feel the same way about the second one with uh, Mr. Mind, the, the Dr. Savannah. I I don't think that they're actually I don't know, but see this is I guess maybe this is the one where I feel like if they were going to do a another Shazam film, this is where they might go uh rather than uh you know his connection with uh the the justice society and and all of that um so mm-hmm. uh and because it doesn't have a connection with black adam uh and that that doesn't kind of uh, create that storyline where you would basically want to see finally shazam go against black adam mm-hmm I'm just I'm hopeful because I'm I'm somewhat familiar with those. Um, And I thought that actually the joke was kind of funny because I do agree that the average person that hasn't read the comics would be like, I thought it was the Justice League, not the Justice Society. And, you know, so I I thought that that joke was actually funny. Um, But yeah, like I said, because I saw Peacemaker and liked Black Adam. I would be interested to see then another film putting them together and seeing where this goes. I was not excited about the um, Dr. Silvana scene, but I did think it was funny just because I think that um, Mr. Mind is hilarious as a character. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, yeah. I think, um, I think this is another problem we have just because we know that the DCU uh, is about to get completely rebooted. uh, And that's really frustrating, knowing that that's coming. Uh, Mm -hmm. And knowing that a lot of the stuff here, and I really do feel like this, uh, with this movie specifically, like that this, this movie itself, because Shazam... It's tangentially connected with the rest of the the DC films that have come before, but on a whole, it 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 there's there's nothing here that's going to have any impact on what's coming either. So it's it's just it feels a little bit uh, everything just feels fractured uh, in a way that I think their announcement about what's coming up and everything is just it kind of hurt this movie in general. And then of course, again, I feel like that connection that you get with black Adam and everything and pretty much realizing that with what happened with the rock and everything else 
with Black Adam, it feels like that is never going to turn into anything ever again. And so, um, uh, yeah, I just, it, it leaves me just cold in that sense. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, um, we'll see. I mean, again, we don't, we don't know exactly what's going to come, so we'll have to wait and see. Um, I do, uh, I got to ask you about a big cameo that we get in the film and that the way that Shazam comes back to life, the God that brings him back to life is none other than his ultimate crush. Wonder woman, Gal Gadot being back as wonder woman. How did you feel about that part of the story and, uh, their use of, of wonder woman to make that happen? So I was thrilled with that. I love that they played her theme before they even showed her face. I love that they had originally teased, um, her possibly appearing when they show the dream um, and then bring her in at this point. I thought also not only like made you feel like it was earned, but it legitimizes this more that if you were feeling that Shazam was possibly not part of DC canon, that that kind of makes it feel more like part of the rest of the group of films by having a major star from the other DC films appear in this. So I, I thought that that was a good reveal and it was funny. Um, and that then she still kind of brushes it off as you're a kid. I'm not going to be in a relationship with you, but nice try. <laughs> yeah. You know, Wonder Woman, uh, not into men that much younger uh, than she right. is. So, no, um, I, I think, uh, you know, to me, it, it, it worked. I think it's exactly I mean, you know. The, the wizard is right. You only have basically one character uh, who we know of that's left in the DC universe at this point that is a is a god or demigod, and that is Wonder Woman herself. And so I think it does a great the job of, of being able to utilize her. I think the best part about this is is that, of course, after the first Shazam, you worry that they're only going to be able to do exactly what they had to do in Shazam, uh, which is that you're only going to be able to have half a person, you know, head cut off type thing. They they are able to actually use her completely, which is great. And so I'm I'm glad that that was the case. And, um, you know, I thought it was fun. Um, yeah. Was I slightly cringed again personally by his trying to ask Wonder Woman out? Yes. Um, <laughs> I didn't find it as funny as maybe other people did, but um, I I loved that they were able to utilize her. And I felt like, you know, that's the kind of thing where comics are able to do great, which is to be able to utilize characters throughout the universe and they can just drop in and help each other out and then be on their way and this was that kind of thing you know and so i i i thought that that was excellent um and so i'm glad that they were actually able to utilize wonder woman in that way it'll be interesting too because i gal gadot is also supposed to show up as wonder woman in the flash so should be interesting to see her show up in that film as well as ben affleck as bruce wayne and batman so I did want to ask one last thing uh, before we get to our ratings, which is, you know, obviously this is a superhero movie and it's full of massive effect sequences. And I did want to see how you felt like they did with uh, the effects. I thought overall the effects were pretty good here. 
I, like I said, especially was impressed with the final fight scene with the lightning effect and the dome and really in general with the dragon, it looked pretty good. I think there were a few times where the dragon's movement and the way that they tried to make it look like it was made of wood maybe didn't look as great and crisp as I would like it to, but I think everything else really in the movie I was comfortable with and sometimes super impressed with. So how did how did you feel about it? I felt like the last scene was really, I mean, the big last fight was actually pretty decently done. I felt like that might have been the best effect sequence that they had in the film, which was good because it's it's the last major battle. Mm-hmm. But I felt like the rest of the movie, a lot of the effects just don't aren't really good. This the the whole bridge sequence looks really bad. Um, just it's it's not really mm-hmm. good CGI. Um, none of the creature effects, for the most part, is good CGI. Most of it's pretty shoddy, uh, and the the movie doesn't look great, um, which is disappointing. I know also though that the, I think the the budget of this film was a lot lower. Um, than the most, you know, big budget superhero films. Uh, but to me, this one definitely looked it in that way. Um, and the, I, I felt like at least that for the most part, the effect sequence that was the best was the big battle at the end. But to me, I, I wasn't really impressed by the look of the movie in the sense of what they're able to create visually with the effects, which I would ex- expect and wish for more um this felt like a you know we've complained a lot about some of the looks and feels of uh the marvel movies that we've seen over the recent years and i think this is one of those where it just looks like one of the honestly the, the cgi in this movie reminded me the most and this is a really sad thing to say it reminded me the most of she hulk oh really yeah that to me it wasn't that bad but yeah so but yeah i mean you know and again it's it's all down to like you know personal feelings about things which brings Mm -hmm. me to the question what are you going to rate shazam fury of the gods so i think that the overall feel I have from this movie is that I really enjoyed it and that I think that you and I probably are going to have different ratings this time. Um, But that ultimately it's, although I think it's great, it's not quite up to where I felt the first movie landed ratings wise. So uh, I ultimately end up with a 3.5 out of five stars for this one because I think I want to give it more, um, but I do think that there was a little bit of some plot points that we mentioned that we would tweak um, to make some things make more sense um, and not lean into the joke quite as much. Um, but, you know, I, I like I said, I defend some of that with it is still a kid in a grown man's body and that overall the feeling of Shazam as a character is that he's going to be a little bit silly and immature. So there's a lot of things I don't mind as much. Um, And I was super impressed with Jack Grazer as Freddy. I don't want to discount that at all. And um, 
really enjoyed the jokes about the wizard not knowing his name and calling him Freebie or Jeff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Just had yeah. to mention that. Uh, and the D&D that's a great references. Point. That's a great point. So, um, yeah, I still really enjoyed it and would go see it again. Um, and my husband and I had a great time at the theater. Um, I think that the final fight scene is great seeing in the theater. But what about you? I think you did a great job of uh, mentioning that this movie is definitely not as good as the first movie. And, uh, you know, I've I rewatched the first movie recently just to kind of re-familiarize myself with everything because it had been a while since I'd seen it. And mm-hmm. I think it's a fun movie. Um, and I think, uh, I, but with my second watch, that movie was a 3.5. This movie is it's not as good. And I think a big part of that, and you mentioned 100%, it just leans in too much to the joke and it forgets that what made the first movie successful in any way was more of the emotional pull with the characters and what they're going through. And this movie somewhat forgets that. And I I just, um, I I think... In all honesty, the character of Shazam is one of the most annoying characters I've seen in a long time in a film. Uh, and when I'm having that much trouble with the with the title character, that's not a good thing. Uh, and um, I think there were definitely easy ways to be able to fix that. And so it leaves me more frustrated. I would give this movie... 2.75 which on letterbox is a three but it's not a three to me it really is 2.75 um mm. it's it's above average but it's just above average like it's slightly above average right and so um and i found that to be really sadly disappointing because i thought the first shazam was a much more an enjoyable film and I thought I thought felt more tonally consistent in the sense that it felt like an Amblin movie with all the horror aspects that they put in there that felt very much like they came out of like the Goonies or something like that, um, mm-hmm. where all of a sudden you're just like, oh, wow, that was intense, you know, like that they used to do with that type of film in the 80s. Um, this movie just it. Yeah, it, it couldn't find what I think it needed to find, which was the heart. Uh, mm-hmm. And I wanted I saw what they were trying to do with the heart. I just didn't feel it as much. And so, um, yeah, 2.75 out of 5 for me. Uh, but Christy, it is, of course, that time of the show where we give our recommendations. So I can't wait to see what you want to recommend to everybody this week. Um, I'm going to recommend the unofficial Harry Potter spell book. Nice. Um, it actually, it, it's... Looks like a kid's book, but it's in a really nice cover. And it's cool, especially for people that like the books or the movies. Um, It actually has, like, definitions of what, you know, the different wand cores are and different spell names that you heard of and that you didn't hear of and what they do. And I just think it's really cool that it's a it very much feels like an in-universe book of how spells work for us muggles out here. So... I recommend checking out the unofficial Harry Potter spellbook. Man, it's hard out here for a muggle. I know. That's so cool. Man, I love Harry Potter stuff. In fact, 
I was just, uh, I was texting with our friend of the show, John Mills, the other day and just being like, man, I miss Universal uh, because I love that theme park so much and I love being there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love, you know, Harry the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and all. And so, ah, man, that's very cool. Uh, makes me want to go back all over again. I am going to recommend because it is out. Season three of Ted Lasso is out. And so I'm going to encourage everybody to get there and watch that. This is, Jason Sudeika said, going to be the final season. And so I hope you're checking it out. I, I love this show and uh, and I love its heart. And I think it's, it's just so great. And so I encourage you to go check out uh, Ted Lasso season three that has just begun there on Apple TV+. Plus. But, Christy, if people wanted to see what you've got going on these days, uh, where else might they find you? Well, you can find me hanging out, of course, on Instagram, doing reels, um, or on Twitter at Bespin Bell and Letterboxd, where I promise I'm going to start ranking some more movies. Um, And then, of course, when I'm not here in the 602 Club, I'm either in the Babel Conference on Facebook or on another show called Sabres and Spells with my friends Amanda and Teresa talking about geek stuff we don't usually get to cover. So I hope you'll check that out. But what about you? Yeah, you can find me all over the place under the moniker MattRushing02. Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vera are the places I am most active. You can also find me here, of course, outside the 602 Club, doing a bunch of other shows, literary tracks about the books and the comics of Star Trek, The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise, Saddle Up about Strange New Worlds, and of course, The Artificial Tango. We're covering Star Trek Picard Season 3 right now as that show wraps up its run can't miss it and then over in the nerd party you've got two different podcasts one is called outpost about harry potter talking about every single chapter of the series one chapter at a time uh and then you can also find me on aggressive negotiations with the great john mills as we talk about star wars each and every week but thank you so much for joining us and shazam <laughs>